Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy. I'm your host, Paula Jenkins. I invite you to join me as we explore how inspiring people have chosen joy in their lives and what they have to share with us about how to jumpstart joy in the world. Plus, how do we follow our own hearts, find work that lights us up while mindfully noticing the role that joy plays in our own journey. Welcome to episode 72. This is Paula Jenkins, the host of Jumpstart Your Joy. This week on the podcast, I'm thrilled to be speaking with Brianna and Dr. Peter Borden of The Dragon Tree. They have a new book, The Well Life, and they are here to talk about using structure, sweetness, and space to create balance, happiness, and peace in your life. And they're helping kick off February, which is all about the foundations of joy. Before we get to the interview, I want to give you the warmest of welcomes and say thank you so much for listening. If you want to subscribe, Jumpstart Your Joy is on all of the major podcasting syndication spots like iTunes, Google Play Music, and iHeartRadio. You can head on over to any of those and search for Jumpstart Your Joy and it should pop right up. When you are there and find the show, please hit that subscribe button and you will get the weekly episodes downloaded directly to your mobile device each week when they are released on Tuesdays. And of course, please leave a review while you're over there. I'd love to hear what you have to say and your review helps other people find the show. If you want to follow along with this episode, you can go to the website at jumpstartyourjoy.com slash episode 72, and you'll see all of the extended show notes about this show there on the website. And that includes links to Peter and Brianna's website, uh, more information about them, links to buy their book, and lots, lots more. While you're over at the site, jumpstartyourjoy.com, I invite you to register for my free e-course, which is Joy Plus You, which is a really fun self-paced class that guides you on how to focus on making more room for joy in your life. There's a sign-up form right on the homepage at jumpstartyourjoy.com. If you put your name in there and your email, you will be all set and start getting emails right away. And that uh, series of emails is really fun. There's a playlist and um, desktop for your computer and just lots of fun things to get back in touch with joy and see and see how you can bring more of it into your life. While you're on jumpstartyourjoy.com, you can find past episodes and get this nearly eight years of blog posts that I've written to help you find joy in your life. I am super excited about this interview with Brianna and Dr. Peter Borton. As we kick off a month dedicated to the foundations of joy, their book, which is called The Well Life, seemed like a perfect introduction to the topic. As you guys know, one of the key messages of this show is that joy is always a choice, and at the heart of things, joy is often a mindfulness practice. It's something that you know that you want, and so once you're locked on to joy and what it looks like for you, you can mindfully make choices in your life that lead you towards or closer to joy. What I love about the book that the Bortons have written is that it gives a really beautiful framework and foundation for finding balance, happiness, and peace in your life. And they define the three elements for this kind of well life to be structure, sweetness, and space. 
Since we're focused on the building blocks this month, the conversation that I have with them is centered on those three things, which are structure, sweetness, and space. The cool thing about their book is that once you've gotten the foundation and understanding of structure, sweetness, and space, they give you eight more wonderful practices to help you integrate these things into your daily life, which will definitely bolster your wellness and joy. And so I'm really excited to talk to them about those building blocks in this episode. I was so delighted to get to speak to Brianna and Peter and just love the synergy and energy that we shared. And I know you're just going to love getting to meet them too. So welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy. Today, I have Brianna and Peter Borton of The Well Life. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks, Paula. Yeah, I'm so excited you guys are here. Well, let's kick off with the first question that I ask everyone, and that is, what did you love most as a child or in school? What were your earliest sparks of joy? Wow. For me, (laughs) it was animals, especially cats, and all other kinds of things. I loved going to pet stores when I was a kid. I didn't really have a sense at that age that maybe they weren't really being cared for as well as they could, but there were pets everywhere, like in malls. And uh, I also loved robots and math. I was uh, quite the geek. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) For me as a kid, I always really enjoyed dancing and, you know, a lot of pretend play. I think like I probably made about 20 different fairy forts with my friends that I really wanted to like live in. And my parents are always like, you have to live in the house. You can't live outside. But I always really enjoyed being outdoors and doing lots of imaginary play. I always played with my dolls a lot and I had a billion stuffed animals. But I would actually say that dance was the first thing that sparked so much joy in me that I really stuck with for a long time. I love it. <laughs> it's always fun to hear what people really resonated with as youngsters. Would you guys like to tell us a bit about who you are and what you do now? I am Peter Borton. I'm a doctor of acupuncture and oriental medicine, which means that I prescribe people herbs and I do acupuncture and massage and nutrition and a variety of other holistic health interventions with people. And I, over the years, have taken on a growing role in our company as a whole, which we're a wellness company that strives to uplift and educate people through a number of ways. So I've taught a bunch in the past and now I've have been working increasingly on developing courses and educational materials that I'm always writing articles for us too. And uh, I'm also involved in our product development. So I've always been kind of a mad scientist and I love that I get to uh, work in that capacity to develop natural healthcare, body care products. And I'm Brianna Borton, and I, so I started The Dragon Tree. Peter was with me at the time, but that is our company. I am trained as a massage therapist and an Ayurvedic practitioner, which is the medicine that comes from India. And so I um, spent a lot of my time originally kind of setting up our treatments and doing almost all the treatments in the beginning. And as we've grown, I've really become, you know, more in charge of just making sure that like the vision for the company is really held, creating content, coming up with new ideas, which I think everyone on my team wishes I would stop doing actually. And just, you know, we have 
started, we started as a spa and now we've grown to have a manufacturing company where we create bath and body products and joint and muscle relief products and then herbal tinctures. And now we've gone into more of the personal development world where we have a planner and we just wrote our book together. So now I get to do a lot more of that kind of thing, which I also really love. So cool. And there's so much there. So <laughs> I think like what inspired you guys to start on the initial path, both in kind of acupuncture, but also what led you to found the spa and how did you guys get involved with that realm of things? Well, for me, when I was a teenager, I started to become kind of like the unofficial counselor among my peer group to a group of, of us who were all kind of troubled and struggling through adolescence. And I don't really know how that happened, but I seemed to kind of have a knack for it. And simultaneously, I was born in Salem, Massachusetts, and I grew up in that area. And I began visiting the witchcraft stores of that area. Most of them, they're just kind of trying to capitalize on the fact that they killed a bunch of witches. But many of them uh, were essentially herb stores. And I began to learn about medicinal herbs. And that got me interested in plants as a whole. And I went to school. I started as a psychology major, but I switched to being a botany major. And I began to focus more and more on herbal medicine. And then in grad school, I kind of discovered that Chinese medicine was a great way to kind of synthesize a lot of that stuff, the psychology, the interest in medicinal herbs. Chinese medicine has the most sophisticated uh, herbal medicine system. And then while I was practicing acupuncture, I needed to make some extra money. And I took a job at a spa doing some acupuncture massage there. And that's where I met Brianna, who is early in her career, and she can take it over from here. <laughs> yeah, so for me, my first interest in massage really came from a pretty like life-changing event. So I was going to school. I graduated high school. I was all signed up to go to art school in Washington State. And I was very excited about going there, And but I was also missing my boyfriend. So decided to drive back with a girlfriend back to Montana. And in that car ride, we got in a major accident where I broke my neck. And so through the rehabilitation of going from having my neck broken and being in a brace to being able to be out of my brace, I was in a lot of pain. And the only thing that was really helping me was massage and energy work. And so after I had had that experience, I actually went and traveled for quite a while where I was exposed to more and more energy work and more natural healing ways and then came back to the United States and really decided that I wanted to be a massage therapist and help people in that way too. So then I started working, I had a private practice, but then I was also working at this spa where I met Peter, where I was always really uh, annoying, I'm assuming, to my boss. I was always, you know, saying what I thought could be done better and trying to really push things to be improved for our clients. And our boss often would say to me, if you think you can do it better, then you should do it yourself. And eventually I got fired from that job, which now looking back, it makes so much sense. I'd probably fire me too. It's quite annoying. And at that time, I decided that I would open my own spa. So I was 22 and just so sure that it was going to be, you know, wholly successful very quickly, which was not, but it definitely over time and a lot of work, we've 
definitely made it into something that is much, much bigger than I ever even dreamed. And she invited me to join her in creating that spa. And I just had a practice in kind of a blah medical building with like beige carpet and white walls. And I thought, hmm, Mm -hmm. practicing in a spa. On the one hand, I really wanted to be taken seriously. And I wanted to see people with like real medical problems. And on the other hand, it sounded very exciting. And I had fallen in love with this girl. And I just wanted to hang out with her all the time. (laughs) So we went into this, we found this warehouse and we started knocking down walls and we really kind of, we had some contractors, but we did a huge amount of the building ourselves. And uh, as I moved my practice in there, I really began to gain an appreciation for, number one, Brianna's skill at tuning and at designing spaces and adding elements like sound and sense and color and so on. And then to how much that could actually play into a person's therapeutic experience. And I would never go back now. I mean, just from seeing the effect that it has on like the UPS guy when he steps in to drop off a package and he's like, can I just hang out here for the rest of the day? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I realized the potential there is in the environment. And so that was a very lucky thing for me to get to be part of. I love it. I love it. There's so much, and again, so much there. I think the one thing that keeps coming up when I speak to people about finding joy and a part of my own message is that like we have to choose joy and keep choosing it, which is a quote by Henry Nowen. But it's often like the most difficult choice we'll ever make. And so I hear a little bit of that or a lot of that, Brianna, in your decision and your journey of going through rehabilitation of like, I'm certain there were choices. It sounds like there were a lot of choices made there that you were going through something so deep and trying. And yet there was a lot of, you were looking for the hope and the goodness maybe not knowingly at the time, but that that's where it led you. I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, I've been really, it's interesting. It's been coming up a lot for me in conversations recently, just because, mm-hmm. you know, we all go through trying times and mm-hmm. I look back on that time of my life and breaking my neck. And it is one of the top five greatest things that have ever happened to me. And it's not that at the time I thought that at the time I thought it sucked. I was like, I'm in a neck brace. I have to live with my parents again. Like, it was not how I planned my life to be. And yet, now that I look back on it, I can see how wonderful that was for me to change my life in those ways. And so, I think a lot in the time, we want to either just like make things, you know, completely better and not learn the lessons and just be like, everything's just going to be fine without actually like being in the moment. Or we can kind of like let ourselves spiral down in despair because things aren't going our way. But I think if we can really like be with the experience of what is happening in that moment, there's a lot of lessons that are learned, but you won't know that until you get through it. But I think continuously having, you know, the outlook that it will pass and that you are learning something along the way is a way to get yourself out of despair. Because sometimes it's hard to go from like despair to like complete joy. But if you can just even start to take little steps towards that so that you can hold it in your mind and you can really get there. And then when you look back, a lot of times you kind of see the trajectory and why it all happened. So true. Yeah, it's really that looking back and seeing the through line or the daisy chain of events that have gotten you someplace. And like Mm -hmm. you said, never really expecting like there's going to be this, what I'll say unusual thing that happens. And my audience probably knows the birth of my son was very traumatic. And so a lot of that does 
allowed me to have the time to dig in and look and decide I wanted something more than what I was experiencing, meaning the trauma and kind of the absolute confusion of it at the time. And that's, that was even the genesis of the podcast, which is so <laughs> I love it when, when people are able to articulate how hard times have led them and the journey through it has led them to something bigger in their life. So thank you for, for sharing that. And Peter, I love what you said too about creating an environment and designing a space for people. It totally makes me think of one of the early guests on the podcast was Matthew Wood, who does the voice of General Grievous in Star Wars. He's also the sound editor at um, Skywalker or a senior sound editor at Skywalker. And he talks about wanting to go. So he's been doing sound for Star Wars and he's like, yeah, maybe the next things I want to do are like craft chocolate or figure out a new way to make coffee that would like bring more of the senses into play. So I don't know if you want to talk or share a little bit, like how do you guys design a space that like you're saying the UPS guy just is like, I'm going to, I want to, I need to be here. I need to hang out here for a while. Well, Again, I feel like Brianna is more the master in crafting spaces. But, you know, I absolutely, it was really part of my training, especially in what's known as the five element tradition of Chinese medicine, which is kind of a a semi-obscure form of acupuncture that dates way back to its Taoist origins, where people were, you know, sages were essentially learning these essential truth about life through observation of nature. And they recognized that all of the dynamics of the natural world are present, metaphorically anyway, in really all facets of human life. And so some of the earliest books that are still in existence are these old Taoist texts that basically explain things like how to recognize and and learn these dynamics of the natural world and then apply them to things like relationships and politics and family life. And to a great degree, they go back to like using your senses and listening in a more complete way. And by listening, I mean smelling and seeing and, and actually listening with your ears and feeling and and just opening up to a much greater degree. And I think that by utilizing those utilizing devices that speak to our various different senses, we, you know, invite them to wake up and tune in. So people step in and, you know, probably the first thing they experience is a scent. And we now know that scents have a really interesting way of going straight to the brain and bypassing mental processing so that they're able to like immediately elicit a memory or a feeling. So those are, you know, some of the ways I think that we can tap into transformative experiences or transcendent experiences uh, through the senses. Mm, That's really good stuff, too. Um, Yeah, because you're totally right. There's, I mean, both like memory and smell are so strongly tied. But I love what you just said about having kind of a transcendence through the senses as well. That is interesting. Yeah, it seems to be, I think, a key in in a therapeutic experience that really goes deep or makes a big impact in someone is having some experience of transcendence. Mm, Yeah, that's very interesting. It sounds like you employ some of that throughout your work, both in acupuncture and, I mean, in, in tincture and everything else that you're creating. Is that part of what is at the heart of what you're doing? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I think that much of the direction of like modern medicine and science 
has been to get very reductive about things, to get, you know, this disease is, is caused by this particular bacterium and it attaches to this kind of cell. And so we need to really target it in a very, very, very specific reductive way. Whereas the way that most traditional and holistic systems of healing go is to look at the biggest possible picture and look at every possible element that's affecting you in the process. I mean, I love what you're saying, though, about tapping into that holistic piece of trying to figure out what's going on with a person. Because, yeah, it's really hard to isolate something and be like, yeah, you have migraines because of this. Yes, exactly. And we tend to think, oh, you have a migraine. Well, then this is the medicine for migraines without really considering that it's like, well, this migraine could be the outward expression of, you know, any of a million different patterns. And so transcendence is maybe a device through which we recognize that we're much more than simply a body with a painful head. We're a person Mm -hmm. who's part of a much vaster consciousness and community. And you know, it could be an opportunity. To get curious and dig in and see what else is going on because it's all so connected. Right. Whatever the ailment is. I mean, a headache or a migraine is a great example because I think those (laughs) really is probably telling you there's something else going on. But well, so do you guys want to jump in about your book, The Well Life? I don't know if you want to do the intro or (laughs) because I loved reading it, but how would you explain it or how have you pitched it to people? We want you to give your book report for us. No, I'm just kidding. I'm happy to. No. Um, that's a lot of pressure. I know. So, yeah, our book, The Well Life, I mean, the subtitle is How to Use Structure, Sweetness, and Space to Create Balance, Happiness, and Peace. And so we really get into looking at wellness in a really, really broad sense because what we had found was that so many of our clients and friends maybe had a fairly healthy mind and body, but yet they were unable to make their whole life function in a way that was really at the best for them. So, you know, maybe they didn't have ample income to support them or healthy relationships to be in, or they didn't feel like they were able to bring their purpose and passion out into the world, or they didn't know how to set goals and break them down and make them happen. And all of these things are things that we started to think of as being part of real whole wellness. So in thinking about the wellness of a human, not just being, you know, that your, you know, stats are good in your body, but that there's this whole wellness in your life. And how could we help people create that? And so as people asked us again and again, like, how do you do this? We started to dissect that for ourselves and say like, oh, well, if we want to help people do this, we need to figure out how we do it in the first place. And so that started us looking at our own lives and at the lives of our clients whom we've helped do these things and be like, okay, well, what was it specifically that we did or they did that made that change? And that brought us to this elemental system of looking at the elements of structure sweetness and space and how they work together in all the different areas of our life to really create balance and happiness. I love that too. And I love how it ties back through to the wholeness that we were just, or the holistic approach we were just talking about, because it's clearly a through line for you guys. Like, and 
I'm also a coach. And so I love that you tackled these things and called them three things that are kind of like new. I mean, obviously not new words, but they talk about this, the intersection of all these things together in a different way. I think it gives a really interesting vocabulary for people to start to use that's like easier to understand than, you know, I feel like sometimes those phrases like self-care are so off-putting that people are like, what is that? Like, <laughs> so it's nice to have a, you know, an easier language to, to dive into it. I also found myself really nodding my head and agree with it agreement with so much that you guys were saying, because it comes really close to that, that way that I define joy on the show. For February, we're talking about kind of the foundations of joy. And I think that the sweetness, space and structure all really dovetail nicely into building that foundation. Or what do you see in your practice or with your clients and people you've worked with? Why are we so far away from some of the foundational aspects of our life? Like, the real basics that would build into the sweetness structure and space that you focus on in the book? We've been on a trajectory for a long time toward a more sophisticated and complicated understanding of the world. We've put our eggs increasingly in the basket of science. And while I love science and I think that it has gotten us, you know, it's benefited us in tremendous ways. It also has made us think that life is complicated and things like joy are therefore must be complicated too. And I don't know who said this, but some wise person said, the truth is simple. If it were complicated, everybody would understand it. And I think we tend to overlook things that are simple just because it seems too simple. Like it can't be too simple. And, um, We've allowed ourselves to be kind of swept up in a lot of what technology has made possible for us. And I think the global connection of communities through the Internet and the global availability of massive amounts of valuable information is a huge gift. And also, it's something of a double-edged sword where we're so inundated with data in all kinds of forms from email to tweets to Facebook posts to videos and podcasts and everything else, that it's really easy to let it kind of sweep through your life like a raging river and feel like there's a necessity to stay engaged with it. And it's impossible to keep up with it all. And I think for many of us, the only option really is to learn how to just browse and and engage at an increasingly more shallow level. That's the consequence mm. of that kind of behavior has made it difficult for us to drop in and just be with one thing, one task, or one person, or one you know thought at a time, and to really connect and not feel like we could be doing a million other things at the same time. It, it has been a huge right. sacrifice in depth. It has. Yeah. Well, and I think, is there some connection in there too with why meditation is both becoming so popular or it, you know, has, has had a rise in popularity, but also it's become like, it's so interesting because it is so hard to really sit for 15 minutes and meditate and just let your thoughts be like, it almost feels like this increasing both shallowness and intensity of information 
it kind of like is the exemplification of monkey brain or whatever someone might call that that chatter. (laughs) It's showing us that meditation is the antithesis of that. We need it more than ever. And there's really no substitute for it. So we talk about in the book, this notion in these classical texts of Chinese medicine of this basic pattern that's responsible for so many different forms of illness which is an imbalance between movement and stillness. And in the past, it was often that people moved too much in a physical sense, meaning they were getting sick because of too much work and not enough rest. And uh, we kind of have the opposite problem these days where most people, the only form of physical movement they get is when they schedule it and they go to a like designated exercise facility because there isn't a lot of movement in just the the work of everyday life. But on the other hand, people in the past usually had a lot more mental stillness than they do today. And today we have a tremendous need for mental stillness, and that has to be kind of scheduled and implemented in the same sort of artificial way. It's a tremendous difference from how we normally live to just stop thinking for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and it can be such a gift. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Maybe that sounds a little silly to some of the listeners, but it can be such a gift to just leave yourself. And would you guys, we could jump into space if that's, but is that where you would qualify or where you would place meditation and, and stillness? Does that fit under space? Yeah, space is, I mean, meditation and stillness is exactly what space is. And to try to make that time for space every day so that we're able to access these different layers that really are always there where creativity is and inspiration and innovation. When we're always in the bombardment of the world, then there isn't a lot of space for us to have new and innovative thoughts. But if we can step out of that and meditate and walk in nature and just take time for stillness, we're really opening ourselves up to something so much bigger. And, you know, I also think it supports our life in so many other ways. It helps us create more space in our daily lives as we go through our day in between things that we do. It also helps us get a little bit more deep with every moment that we're actually in. And it also helps us create space between things like our thoughts and our reactions to our thoughts. So practicing those things by having time where you meditate really does affect the rest of your life. It's not just the time that you're taking for that space. That space then has an effect, a positive effect on the rest of your life. Yes. And I loved your analogy of packing the clothes in the clothes dryer too full (laughs) and how that doesn't really leave enough room for the clothes to dry. Like, I think it's so helpful for people to start to understand like what you're saying is that if you leave the room, meaning the space in your life for the the thoughts to be, and that you can spend a little time with them and see what's happening behind them, that you're not just thrown into that reactionary mode. I don't know if those two are really related, but. (laughs) uh, Yeah, no, that works. We talked about that around (laughs) eating, making space like in your body when eating, but it works in your mind too. And we talk about how like the digestive faculties kind of pertain both to taking in food and ideas and sensory information and all of that as well. So the ability to digest life needs space. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know that people try and cram in as much as they can in a day. Do you guys have a sense of what's fueling that for people? Like 
is it the fear that they won't get everything done, or is there an interesting crossroads between that fear and uh, the over-scheduling? I mean, I think that, you know, everyone's different, so it's not going to be the same thing for everyone, but I definitely see a common thread of, first, like, a fear of, like, falling behind in something as if like we're in a big competition to like somehow win something, which I'm like still unclear what it is that everyone's trying to win. But there, you know, there's like a something that we can win if we just, you know, work harder, do more, fit more in. And then I also think there's a like very specific avoidance of doing nothing. And I think that anyone who has tried meditating for the very first time knows that it's uncomfortable, right? It's not like oh, well, that is just like purely pleasant first time out the gate. It it is uncomfortable. (laughs) And so I think that we often fill ourselves completely full to avoid being in any discomfort, you know, with being with our emotions, with being with our stillness, with being with ourselves, just like fully, purely, truly just sitting with ourselves I think can be so uncomfortable for people that they avoid it by jam-packing their lives. I totally agree. I think that it is at once a running toward one thing and a running away from another thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it is, I love that you just brought in that question of like, what is it that we think we're going to win? My heart was like, yes. Like, what is that? Cause really, I mean, <laughs> if you slow down and, and it becomes that kind of almost, I don't know if it's Zen really or not, but that thing of, if you just let go of that thought that there's something to win. And if you can shift your, So in my own life, maybe really winning looks like spending more time with my son. And that might be totally opposite of what society is telling me is really important, which is climb the ladder, you know, more, more, more. But like when I stopped to think about it, it really was winning to me would be more time with this, this sweet family and, and not running so fast. So I don't know if there's an easy way for that you guys have found to kind of start to break down that question of competition or, or winning. I'm going to leave this one to Brianna because I can tell that she has something good to say, but I just wanted to say that I think that's good for you that you clearly made this recognition that it wasn't like an out there thing that you needed to be striving for. And I think, you know, this kind of goes back to our earlier discussion about that we're sort of, we're very outwardly focused and uh, the data has really done that to us. And the great majority of the time, we don't need to look out there, but yeah, and I just wanted to say we have another book that we created as a planner. It's called The Dream Book and Planner. And the whole beginning part of it is so much about diving into who you really are and figuring out what you really want because it kind of because we see that people think of winning as being this thing that we're kind of like fed by the media and society and like this is what winning looks like, this like shiny car and more stuff and like that's what's going to make you happy, popular, loved, blah, blah, blah. And instead, we really encourage people to like dive deeper and really look at what would make a difference in your actual happiness because it's almost never those things. For some people, it might be and like that's also okay But for most people, it's, you know, things like you're saying, like being with your family or making or serving your community or spending more time with your friends. And these are all aspects of life that get really undernourished when we start jam packing our lives full of like very ladder climbing kind of goals. 
Yeah. I think you guys mentioned that too in the well life. I mean, the the whole thing about there are pieces that like, if, I mean, correct me totally if I'm wrong, but I feel like you did touch on that too. Of There could be aspects of this life that are really fulfilling. I mean, like if you really love sparkly shoes or a red sports car, then go for it if that really is what you want. But not letting the outside define like that's what's cool and that's what you should have because everybody else does or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, I think you should absolutely revel in the experience of the material world. And I don't think it needs to be denied, especially if you clearly have the path of the householder rather than the like ascetic renunciate who's going to live in a cave with just a loincloth. Then <laughs> if this is the path that you've chosen, then enjoy the hell out of it. Absolutely. Don't deny it. But for sure, make sure that those goals are ones that actually resonate with you. I love that. If this is the path you've chosen, <laughs> live the hell out of it. That's awesome. <laughs> um, well, and I think this ties, like if we dovetail into one of the next things that you guys bring up is around sweetness, is really looking at the things that you love to do and those things being just for yourself. Because um, I know when I work with clients, that's often like the really the first thing that we run into is how is it you know, what is it that you're doing for yourself? And what do you, what do you, just you, what do you really love? Because I think we get lost in the world, especially, I mean, at least in myself as a mother, like I start to be of service to everyone else. And then I'm not necessarily always of service to me. And I don't even some days know what I want. So what do you guys find happens with sweetness? And how can people reconnect to it if they're, they're not even sure what it means in their life? We find that people tend to come to regard it as like a reward or even an indulgence that can always be put off if there's more stressful stuff at hand to do. And so they put it off till the end of the day or they put it off till the end of the week or they put it off to their one week that they allow themselves a vacation per year or they put it off to retirement or whatever. And the main message we have around that for people is to stop regarding it as an indulgence and recognize that it is deeply nourishing to engage in the sweet stuff, the cooking and eating and spending time with friends and stretching and taking baths and all of that stuff. It makes you stronger. It makes you more authentically you. It makes you better able to do the the stuff that we don't think of as sweet, the work and the showing up part of life. So once you recognize the necessity of it, we advocate really scheduling it into your life, making it a part of your weekly calendar so that that stuff is bound to happen. And hopefully you have enough kind of basic integrity with yourself that you are going to do that stuff once it's in your calendar. And then the the kind of corollary to that is to begin to discover the sweetness that's in your everyday activities. Because a lot of people will say, well, I don't have time to schedule that stuff in. And first of all, I think it's just a matter of priority. But you can find that sweetness if you're willing to drop in, if you're willing to just be with whatever you've already chosen to do in this moment anyway. And you can even sweetify whatever you're currently engaged in. And I've learned a lot from Brianna in that arena, like making mundane tasks more fun by putting on good music and lighting candles and, you know, putting essential oils in the air and all that kind of stuff. 
And so much of that is about bringing your presence to it, too, because Mm, when we bring our presence to any moment, there's going to be more depth there. There's going to be more meaning there, and it's going to be more sweet just by bringing your presence to it. So like we were talking about before, when we engage with the world in a really shallow way, it also de-sweetifies the world because we're only able to go like very, very shallowly with everything. And the sweetness is really in the depth, in the like actual experience of the moment. So you could be with your children, which might be like something that you would consider a sweet activity. But if you are not in present with them, it will continue to be a very like shallowly sweet experience rather than, you know, turning off devices, being really present with them, dropping in, and then you're able to experience this whole new, like, expansive depth of sweetness in that moment. Yeah. I love that, that that's the mindfulness of realizing this moment has sweetness. Even if it is the, I'm writing an email to a coworker, like, well, what's sweet about this moment? (laughs) Because there's something about it that's awesome, and it's not coming again, so really kind of meaning you'll never have this exact moment again. So how can you find that sweetness in it? I love that. Um, yeah, letting go of that jaded sort of attitude toward life where, eh, you know, you've seen one flower, you've seen them all. You've written one email, you've written them all. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, it's so easy to be that way or feeling like, you know, I can experience the sweetness once I'm on my way home and I'm listening to the radio or whatever, like putting it off so that it's something out in the future. That's easy to do as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And then I love what you guys said about structure and scheduling in sweetness. If that's something that needs to happen or scheduling in space, if that is something that you're struggling with, if somebody it's feeling like they really resonate with these first two ideas, which I'm sure a lot of people feel they are. Like, how do they, but it seems like it's hard to achieve those if, I don't really want to call them goals, but if we do call them goals, like where can someone start with making more space for space or making more space for sweetness if it feels really hard right now? Well, that actually is really where the third element of structure comes in, because if you don't have a structure that is healthy and supportive of your life and what you're wanting, then it makes it really hard to accomplish any goals, including having more space or more sweetness. But when you have a structure that first, like you trust yourself to uphold and keep and a structure that is really enabling you to have the life that you want, then you can use your structure to make sure that sweetness and space are both happening. So, you know, actually scheduling in to your day, time to meditate, time to be in nature, time to take a bath, you know, all of the things that are in the space and sweetness, you can really use your structure as such an amazing tool to make sure that those things are happening. And even the abiding by the structure that you've already established makes space happen simply because there's a requirement of mindfulness. If you really did schedule that for the next half an hour, you're going to plant a garden or whatever, and you respect that you chose that and you 
you, you stick with your choice for that half an hour and you don't depart in your mind somewhere else, then you will necessarily be opening up space and experiencing sweetness. And it's how your schedule, your structure, your life architecture is in service to your sweetness and space. So there's overlap, a tremendous amount of overlap between all three of these. Yes, I agree. Because, yeah, and then talking about that mindfulness, once you've scheduled the time, allow yourself to stay in the moment of, I wanted to go to the gym. This makes more space for me elsewhere. I wanted to go to the gym, finding the sweetness of, the music or sweating or whatever's really amazing about that moment is like, yeah, I can see how they all interconnect right there. You guys also talk about knowing your rhythm, which I really loved as well, because I find a lot of people tend to feel like they have to force a schedule on themselves, meaning, you know, I'm going to, whatever, during the week, like I'm going to sit down and write a blog post that three o'clock on Friday. And I I get the sense that kind of knowing your rhythm is also about looking at how energy flows for you during a week and a day. Do you guys want to talk a little bit about knowing, like getting comfortable with what your own rhythms might be in life and how structure can also help fit into that instead of work against it? Learning your rhythm necessarily requires making some space in order to like tune in and really feel that. And for many of us, we just structure our lives kind of the way everybody does based on how the world works and the typical nine to five and all of that and the school day. And, you know, to a huge degree, structure is kind of imposed on us. And even though it may be that we work horribly at between, you know, 2 to 5 p.m., but that's when we always have our meetings or whatever. Sometimes we feel like it just is, it is what it is. But I mean, so you do need a certain amount of flexibility in your schedule to then shift things around based on your rhythm. But many people have uh, cumulative decision fatigue over the day and over the week where we really do lose our capacity to make clear decisions. It's part of why there are a whole bunch of impulse items for purchase in every checkout lane at stores. Because you've just looked at a million different items as you wandered around the store, and now you're like, oh, what the hell, I'll get a Slim Jim. And uh, (laughs) so if you could recognize those kinds of things about yourself and start to learn, well, you know, for sure, my mind is absolutely the freshest first thing on Monday morning, or maybe that's not true for you at all. Maybe you're actually the freshest in the afternoon. That would be a great time, for instance, to do a bunch of planning and really take advantage of that clarity and pre-decide much of the rest of your week when you have the opportunity to do so in a really clear way. Yeah. And I think that the more that you are aware of your own rhythms, like like Peter was saying, like when you have energy, when you feel like you have decision fatigue, when you feel like you have a lot of creative energy, the more you can start to schedule things so that they go with your own flow. So instead of being like, you know, I just, am, I have to like feel in the moment and like always going to my own flow so I won't even create a schedule for myself, which usually leads people to not creating much of anything in their lives. Instead, if you can say, you know what, I'm going to pay attention to my own flow. And then I'm actually going to create a structure that supports my energies and the way that things move for me. And so I still have a structure 
know that I'm going to get where I want to go, but I'm going to make it match what works for me. And, you know, like Peter was saying, making sure that you're doing planning when you're really fresh and energetic is really useful so that you are doing all of your like hard thinking, like decision making during that fresh time. And then as you break down, you know, what you want to accomplish and how your tasks are and making your tasks things that don't have to be thought about, they're just immediate action items so that then you can put those in the other times of day so that if you are less sharp during those times, it's not quite as imperative because all of the thinking has already been done. You've already done the thinking to break down the idea. Now you just actually have to do the activity, which keeps us in a lot more momentum and flow throughout our week. Right. Yeah. And it keeps us, I mean, I love that the Slim Jim thing came up because like, there's a lot of moments that are proverbial, like, oh, yeah, I'll just eat the Slim Jim moments, right? Where your energy's <laughs> low, you've made too many decisions, and you're like, okay, yeah. And whatever that thing is, like, you know, I don't even know. Like, yeah, I'll just stay another hour at work, or maybe that's your Slim Jim moment. <laughs> For me, where it's like... <laughs> it's your Slim Jim moment. I like it. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah. You know, and there's even some biological basis for that kind of thing, which is that the analytical human evolved part of the mind, the prefrontal cortex is really a resource hog. It only really functions at its best when we're well-rested and well-nourished. And when we're not, we default to the animal brain, which is much more survival-oriented and reactive. So just knowing that that's how we're going to be when our energy starts to run out and pre-planning for that kind of thing so that we have like nutritious snacks available to ourselves or we're not in a position where we're going to be surrounded by people who are smoking if we're, say, trying to quit tobacco or something like that, just knowing that we're not going to be able to make the smartest delayed gratification types of decisions. Yes. And I mean, giving ourselves credit that, yeah, we know we're going to have those moments where we're going to have to make a decision. But like you're saying, setting yourself up to make the better decision for yourself in that moment than the one that involves whatever the proverbial Slim Jim is. (laughs) I swear that's not going to become a thing for me. Like, oh, Slim Jim moment. (laughs) I guess we know who will not be sponsoring this podcast. Oh my goodness. Is there anything that we've left out that you guys want to make sure we touch on about the book before we get into a couple last questions? Not really. I would just say that it might be worth explaining that coming from this place of this sort of expanded definition of wellness that emerged from our practices, the structure, sweetness, and space are the this kind of language that emerged for teaching this. And it has a lot to do probably with the fact that we have these backgrounds in Eastern medicine with these elemental languages themselves and how they interrelate and support each other. But beyond that language, we have kind of a methodology that the book is is aiming to lead people through of, of establishing kind of a foundation of basic self-care habits, and there are eight that we've really identified as probably the biggest bang for your buck things you can do, and then kind of unloading or resolving some emotional baggage and getting really clear about with yourself about your relationship to your word and your agreements, and from there, 
establishing resources like confidence and community that are going to also support you as you start to redefine what you want from your life and then getting really clear on how you do want to define your life by sort of tapping into the feelings and experiences that really are meaningful to you and then identifying, learning to identify your gifts and values and purpose and letting those also come to the table as you begin to structure your life. And and from that, beginning to set intentions, and we have provide a bunch of different exercises and techniques for activating your intentions and kind of making them live in the world, both the kind of nuts and bolts structure kind of stuff that we talk about, and also the totally other end of the spectrum, the non-physical, ethereal, spiritual side of it. And, and really where we end up at the end of the book is um, our message is to recognize that your wellness ultimately is inseparable from the wellness of the world. You can't be a completely well person in an environment that you have totally degraded or separated yourself from. And so really, our, ultimately, we're, we're not trying to get a whole bunch of discrete, well people, but people who recognize that they're building the well world, the well community, the well lives of everyone around them, and that that will inevitably support our wellness. Awesome. Yeah. Well, and I feel like that, that mission and that objective is uh, become increasingly more important um, (laughs) in the last, well, even week, right? But like, how do we... How do we allow space to support ourselves when either we are frustrated or confused or saddened, concerned, panicked, whatever your word is for the events that are going on in our country? Whether you're for or against, I think there's probably stress coming at people around what's happening in our political situation. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think it's become even more important than ever before and uh, that we are all focused on our own wellness. So thank you for thank you for bringing that back in as well. If somebody wants to find your book or learn more about you guys, where can they find you? Well, they can find information about our book at thewelllifebook.com. You can also order it on Amazon. But if you want to see a cute little video that Peter and I made for you, you can go to thewelllifebook.com <laughs> first. And then everything else that we do is really housed on our main site at thedragontree.com. Awesome. And I will link link up to those in the show notes. Sorry, go ahead, Peter. I was just saying, yes, there's a the at the beginning of that. If you didn't hear it, at T-H-E, dragontree.com. And that has tons of articles and other resources for people to check out, too. Awesome. And what else are you guys up to in the coming months? Do you have anything else you'd like to highlight? Well, for a while, I've been working on a course to help people get out of pain. And even though it's mostly physical pain that I'm speaking to, it really is stuff that's applicable to pain on all levels. And it's called Live Pain-Free. And it'll be launched soon. And it's really kind of the all of what I've learned and developed over 17 years in practice. Um, and I just think it's It's so comprehensive. I know that it's going to be hugely beneficial to tons of people. Awesome. Wonderful. Yeah, that is a much-needed resource. The the migraine example, I mean, it's under control now, but I know, like, when you're faced with that kind of pain, how do you start to get curious? And that's very real to my own journey. So 
thank you for pulling that together. Yeah. So I have a couple of questions, last questions that I ask everybody. If you guys have the time, I'd love to ask them. Yes. You guys, you juggle a lot of things. What does balance or harmony look like for you guys in your lives? I mean, I think that balance for me in, in our life really looks like, you know, it has so much more to do with the way that I am experiencing life and a lot less to do with the outward situation of my life. So when I feel like I feel balanced, it's usually that I have a curiosity about the world, that I feel joyful inside, that I am like being present to all of the wonderful moments that surround me all the time, and that I actually have an awareness of how lucky and grateful I am in the moment when it's happening. Peter, anything to add? Yeah, I think, you know, not to get into the politics again, but while we've been talking to people in the past, especially week, but even, you know, ever since November, a lot of the feedback we've gotten is people being like, don't tell us to just be happy. And, you know, we have a fight on our hands and things like that. And we're definitely not in any way advocating any form of spiritual bypass of telling people, you know, to just sort of smile and everything is great because you're not really this human body anyway. I think that if you feel moved to act, then you should act. So for me, I would say, you know, I'm, I don't think it's realistic to expect yourself to be happy all the time. And so when I'm balanced, it's I'm not necessarily always in a totally joyous state, but I think that there's at least a reflectiveness there. And uh, I'm not withholding acceptance of myself in any way. I'm forgiving myself for being however I am. And I'm I'm willing to just, you know, be with it and explore it. And I have trust and faith that uh, I'm moving in the right direction. That's when I know I'm in relative balance. Yeah. A couple of my shows have been about like, how do you find joy in difficult times? And um, I really like what you've said there about like letting yourself be whatever it is that you are and knowing that you can hold space for more than one emotion in the same moment, in the same day. And that's okay too. That like, I think maybe people judge themselves on like, I should do more, so the shoulds get in the way, or why am I both elated about my son's birthday party and really upset about something that happened? And, you know, all of that's all right. So I love what you said. My last question is, and this is always tricky with two people, but so what are three ways you can think of to jumpstart joy in your life, in the world, or in other people's lives? One of my favorites is to practice being fascinated by the world. And there's always stuff to be fascinated by if you just open your eyes and look around. And yeah, you could be in like a dingy parking garage or something and still look around and find things to be fascinated by. <laughs> that is like the quintessential Peter answer. He is fascinated by everything, uh, which is it. awesome. <laughs> I've learned so much about being fascinated from him. And I would say a way to jumpstart joy would be to move your body in a way that feels really good for you. Not like moving. I think a lot of times we move our bodies almost out of like shame or something like I have to, or I can't be, or I don't want to be fat. Like all of the like negatives that drive us to like moving our bodies 
but instead moving your body from a place of like seeing like, oh, does it feel good to move this way? And does it feel good to move that way? You know, whether or not that's like hiking in the woods or dancing totally like a freak in your living room, whatever it is, just moving your body. So often just getting that movement to happen in our bodies moves emotions through us too and really can get us to a place of joy. So my next one is to imagine that you're opening your heart center like a flower. And I think that in Chinese medicine, which is where most of my training is, uh, the heart is considered to be the portal through which consciousness enters this being, this body. And at the same time, it's a place that we reflexively tend to close up when feeling life is uncomfortable. And I actually think that this reflexive closing that we do to not feel what doesn't feel good in life is probably what trickles down to become heart disease and cardiovascular disease, the closing of the vessels and the heart itself. At least it probably plays a role in that as our number one killer as Americans. To um, imagine that your heart is opening like a flower, and even you could imagine that you have like a stream of light, like a river of light that's pouring through the back of your heart, directly behind your heart, and shooting out the front, and that you're opening that up and shining it on the world. And my last one will be, we've talked about this a lot, but just bringing more of your, being more present in every moment, because similarly to, you know, being curious or fascinated by the world, being really present with what is actually happening around us can take us out of our like monkey mind chatter about all the other things that are going on, all of the possible future negative things that we're trying to avoid, all of the past things that we're dwelling on. Instead, if we can be really present in this moment and really like using our senses to get us there, you know, feeling, you know, the clothes on your body smelling the sense around you, listening to the birds or the vacuum or whatever sounds you can hear. And the more that you can bring your presence to this moment, the more we can see how, you know, this moment is actually really precious. And I think in that noticing, there is a lot of joy. Mm, I love that. Yeah. And seeing the preciousness of each moment is, you're right, it is very joyful. Well, thanks, you guys. This has been amazing. I really appreciate your time, and I'm so glad to have met you and so happy you've, you've been on the show. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much for having, for having us. us. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you, Brianna and Peter. It was such a treat to get to speak to you this week. And if you want to reach out and find out more about them and their book, um, you can get all of the links and show notes for this episode at jumpstartyourjoy.com slash episode 72. While you're there, you will see links of how to pick up a copy of The Well Life. Check out Brianna and Peter at The Dragon Tree and learn more about their practice and their spa in Portland. So please do go check them out and stop by and say hi to them too in one of their sites. Next week will be a solo cast episode, so episode 73, and I'm going to share my thoughts on building the foundations of joy in your life building on what we started here and adding in a little bit more information. I'll share the top things you need to stay joyful day to day and about how you could set yourself up for more joy in any given moment. I'm really excited to talk about the foundations of joy. So I will see you guys next week. And until then, I hope that your days are filled with so much joy. <laughs>